On this podcast, we talk about violent crime that's not suitable for young listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Reform Podcast, a true crime policy podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Dudick. I'm an attorney and advocate for crime survivors and legal reform. We're doing this podcast to provide a unique view for how state legal policies impact crimes, criminal investigations, and victim justice. I love listening to true crime podcasts and wanted to do something that isn't being done anywhere else. After exploring how my experience as not only a true crime podcast fan, but also as an attorney with about 20 years of experience, being a lawmaker for eight years, as well as being a leader in justice reform, I wanted to see how I could create a new type of podcast that wasn't being done anywhere else. So that is how this podcast came to be. We're exploring one unsolved crime over the course of one season. And after talking about the ins and outs of the crime, we take it to another level. We explore the state policies involved with the case, those that can help or hurt a victim finding justice. If you want to try and end the violence in our communities, push for policy change, and help solve a crime, this is the podcast for you. This season, we're exploring the case of the Lady of the Dunes. And the policy issue that we're going to be talking about is DNA policies at a state level, privacy, and how that intersects with familial DNA databases. Basically, when can law enforcement look at that information? What protections are there for privacy to that information? And also how that information can help solve unsolved crimes. This season, we're exploring the Lady of the Dunes case. With you listening and searching, maybe together we can uncover some new evidence or knowledge that will help identify the Lady of the Dunes and allow her and her family to finally have some peace. And if you're excited about improving our state's laws and state policy so that victims find justice, we are going to be taking an exciting journey together and joining with others who want to do the same thing. On the last episode, we talked about the investigation into the Lady of the Dunes mystery. We also talked about some possibilities of whom the Lady of the Dunes may have been. This episode, we will talk a little more about who she may have been, and we're also going to cover those who have been suspected of having possibly been her murderer. Last time we talked about some possible identities for the Lady of the Dunes. Well, we have one more possibility that we have not talked about yet. And this ties into one of my all-time favorite summer movies, Jaws. A theory originated with Joe Hill, son of author Stephen King, and also an author in his own right, this theory is that the Lady of the Dunes may have been an extra on the set of the movie Jaws. She may have been playing one of the many extras 
who were summer vacationers and beachgoers in the film. Jaws was filmed on the Cape near Martha's Vineyard and a village called Menemsha during the summer of 1974. It was reportedly shot about 100 miles south of Provincetown between May and October of 1974. And this was within the time frame of the period that the Lady of the Dunes was discovered. A People.com article from August 11, 2018 by Christine Pelisset reports that at about 54 minutes and two seconds into the film, there's a crowd scene during the 4th of July when everyone's just coming to the island. And I actually watched this last week and sure enough, right there, you see what they're talking about. There's an extra you will see in the left side of the screen who looks a lot like the Lady of the Dunes. She's a young woman with brunette hair, wearing jeans, and she has a blue bandana holding her hair back. Now the clothes found with the Lady of the Dunes match this. Jeans and a blue bandana. Now the jeans she's wearing in the movie don't seem to be Wranglers, but it's pretty likely that a woman who owned one pair of jeans may have owned more. So even though she wasn't wearing Wranglers in the movie, she could have owned them and wore them at other times. Now we're not sure when the scene with this individual was filmed. The filming for the movie occurred over months, but details of that exact scene's filming are not certain. In an article entitled Lady of the Dunes, written by Larry Lease on February 6, 2021, and reported in TrueCrimeNeverSleeps.com, an Entertainment Weekly reporter contacted Universal to try to find out information about the identity of that extra. However, they could not locate a record of her and the casting director, who may have been helpful, had already passed away. So no information could be found from them about the extra. Also, nobody has ever come forward to say that they're the extra in that movie. So for all the people who were in Jaws as extras that year, let us know. Did you know that woman? Are you possibly her? Have you not heard that you may be suspected to be the Lady of the Dunes? Now this is just a theory, but it has never been disproven, so maybe there's something to it. Now let's talk about who has been suspected of having possibly killed the Lady of the Dunes. Basically, who done it? Let's start with a serial killer from the area who was notorious in his own right, Tony Costa. Tony Costa was initially thought to be a suspect in the Lady of the Dunes murder. Tony Costa was a serial killer who, according to an article entitled The Creepy Case of Serial Killer Tony Costa and His Garden of Horrors, by Katherine Townsend and published on September 14, 2017 in thelineup.com. He was a carpenter with a violent criminal past. He had been arrested for trying to assault a teenage girl and had also been convicted of burglary and assault. We found out though that it was much worse than this. He was a serial murderer of women who would dismember them, cut up their bodies, 
and then bury some of them in what was known as his special marijuana garden located in a clearing in the woods. In May of 1970, Tony Costa was arraigned for three murders and convicted of two of them. However, he is suspected to have been responsible for as many as seven or eight murders. After his conviction and having served only four years of his prison sentence, he committed suicide by hanging himself in his cell. So the truth of all that he did will never be known, but we do know that even though he was initially suspected of having possibly been the killer of the Lady of the Dunes, the timeline doesn't match up. He passed away on May 12th, 1974, which was well before the Lady of the Dunes was killed. So he could not have possibly been her killer. So on to our next possible suspect, Haddon Clark. Haddon Clark's a serial killer, again, who is currently serving 70 years in prison following a conviction for theft and the murder of two women. But these two women, neither one is the Lady of the Dunes. The reason we're including Haddon Clark on this list is because in 2004, he confessed that he was actually the person who killed the Lady of the Dunes. However, a BuzzFeed Unsolved Fandom article called The Missing Identity of the Lady of the Dunes reports that police are skeptical of believing Clark's confession because he has a credibility problem. Not only is he a murderer, but he has a long history of suffering from paranoid schizophrenia. He also has a history of confessing to murders and crimes that he may not have committed at all. Nonetheless, his confession is worth looking into. The details of what Haddon Clark says is that he claims he was staying with his grandfather on Cape Cod in 1974. So that is the time frame we're looking at. He goes on to claim though that he lured a woman onto the dunes and while there, he struck her with a fishing rod in the head. He goes on to say that he then retrieved a saw from his truck and removed her hands. And he goes on, which is truly disgusting, that he says he used some of her fingers as fishing bait, but buried her hands elsewhere. Now, looking at the scene that we've already talked about where the Lady of the Dunes was found, we know that the sand was undisturbed and that she looked like she was sleeping peacefully. It does not look like some sort of scene where she was attacked with a fishing rod and that her hands were removed with the saw on the scene. So there's no physical evidence to back this up. Also, it appears as though all the information that Haddon Clark gave in his confession was information that was readily available in newspaper articles and that he could have known just from reading those articles. Now, Haddon Clark is an interesting suspect. He had correspondence with pen pals while in prison. One such pen pal has two drawings from Clark. They can be seen on the internet archive for the Wayback Machine. There Haddon Clark two sets of drawings and they're at Dark Vomit's True Crime Museum and Prison Art Gallery. 
these two original drawings by Clark have one as a drawing of a nude woman missing both hands with summer 1974 written on the top. The other picture is a map to his grandfather's home. He explains in the letter, this handwritten letter that was with these two pictures, that the murder is still unsolved and what the police are looking for is in my grandfather's garden. The pictures are signed by Clark and they're dated October 6, 2004. Now Clark claimed to know the details of what the police want. He said he knew the Lady of the Dunes name and that he buried her hands in his grandfather's garden. But even though he eventually led a police on a search, that led them to a bucket of over 230 pieces of women's jewelry that was likely connected to his two decade long murder spree. Nothing positively linked him to the Lady of the Dunes murder and he was not able to lead the police to her severed hands. Clark was convicted in 1993, and he's been serving a very long prison sentence. If he does know anything, such as the true name of the Lady of the Dunes, maybe he's received proper treatment and medication in prison for his schizophrenia, and maybe he's now willing to share more details. And who knows, maybe he actually already has been talking with other pen pals, which we may hear about sometime soon. So now on to our third possible suspect, Whitey Bulger. Whitey Bulger was a well-known Boston mob leader. In the article, The Missing Identity of the Lady of the Dunes on BuzzFeed Unsolved, and this article is based on a video made by Ryan Bergara and Shane Madej, which was uploaded onto YouTube on March 20th of 2020. So if you want to watch a video about this, you should watch that video. This article explains how Balger, an Irish and American Boston mobster was convicted of 11 murders and eventually sentenced to two life sentences in 2013. These crimes did not link him to the lady of the dunes. So the question is, why is he one of the suspects we're talking about? Well, Whitey Bulger has a long and storied history as a mobster. He was born James Whitey Bulger on September 3rd, 1929, and he grew up in a housing project in South Boston. His first arrest was at age 13 for delinquency. So whatever challenges he was facing when he was growing up, he decided at an early time that he wanted to live outside of what society accepted. Eventually, this became more serious. He was arrested in 1956 for robbing banks in Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and Indiana. He was sentenced to 20 years in prison, but served only nine years, and three of them were in Alcatraz. After he got out, he became a well-known mobster engaging in various criminal activity. In 1975, he did something though that was unexpected of most mobsters. And he probably did it for his own selfish reasons, not for the good of society. In 1975, Balger became an informant for the FBI. He was also still being a mob boss. In the article, Balger took post-murder nap after strangling prostitute, 
by Philip Sherwell, published on July 24, 2013, in independent.ie. It states that Bulger knew becoming an informant was a breach of street protocol that was punishable by death, but that he wasn't worried because nobody would believe that he would possibly do such a thing as become an informant. Bulger made sure he was safe. Anyone who may have threatened his identity as a mob boss and also as an informant was certainly at risk. Bulger didn't shy away from taking care of any threats to him. In that same Philip Sherwell article, one such murder is described. Stephen Flemmy, who was one of Bulger's accomplices, testified in Bulger's trial that his stepdaughter, who was 26-year-old Deborah Hussey, was also working as a prostitute. Those are his words, that she was working as a prostitute. Now, if she was voluntarily doing the sex work, that is what she should be rightly called a sex worker. However, if she was not voluntarily doing the work and was somehow forced into it, she was actually a victim of human trafficking, whether she knew it or not. So now back to what happened. Fleming reported, he reportedly testified that he drove Hussey to a house where Bulger was waiting for them. Fleming then watched as Bulger strangled her to death, strangled his own stepdaughter. Following her death, Fleming then pulled the teeth from her skull with pliers and buried her body beneath the cellar where two other murder victims of Bulger's were buried. During this time, Bulger went upstairs and took a nap. This was a morbid routine the two of them followed with other murders. Bulger would murder, Flemmy would pull the teeth, and then Bulger would nap and Flemmy would bury the body. Supposedly, Bulger and Flemmy both had agreed that Hussey had become a problem for their mob gang, the Winter Hill Gang. Additionally, Flemmy stated that Bulger previously had killed his girlfriend because she'd learned that they were acting, both Flemmy and Bulger, as informants to the FBI, regularly providing federal agents with information about other mobsters. Now, based on all of this, some believe Bulger was also involved with the murder of the Lady of the Dunes. And here's why. He was seen with someone in July of 1974 in Provincetown, Massachusetts, who looked like the Lady of the Dunes. The Lady of the Dunes had been murdered, and Bulger murdered people, and she also had some of her teeth removed, something that people working with Bulger, such as Fleming, would do. This was a technique frequently used by those associated with Bulger when they murdered someone. In a March 1st, 2012 article entitled New Clues in Provincetown's Women in the Dunes Case Point to Bulger Connection, this was by WCVB Channel 5 in Boston, they report that witnesses had reported Bulger had, was seen with a woman in July of 1974 that strongly resembled the Lady of the Dunes. In an October 2014 article by Sam Baltrusis that appeared in the September and October 2014 issue of Boston Spirit magazine, local Sandra Lee, who has also written a book based on the Lady of the Dunes murder, added more connections to Bulger. 
In this article, Lee is quoted as making a connection between Bulger and human trafficking or prostitution, crimes that Bulger was involved with. She proposes that the Lady of the Dunes may have been from Ireland, based on her genetic makeup, and the fact that nobody has ever come forward from the U.S. looking for her or who identified the Lady of the Dunes. The thought is that the Lady of the Dunes could have come over from Ireland and she would have been caught up in Bulger's web of criminal activity. To quote what Lee stated in the article, When people would come over from Ireland, Whitey's clan would intercept the women who fit the bill and they would then end up in a house in Southie where they were groomed for human trafficking. So based on all of that, we believe that Balger possibly could have been involved with the Lady of the Dunes murder. Now to summarize the suspects we've talked about today. First, Tony Costa. Although he was a serial killer with entirely too much blood on his hands, he could not have been the one to murder the Lady of the Dunes, and this was due to when he died. And since he's dead, even if he knew anything, he couldn't give us any more clues to what may have happened. The second person we've talked about is Haddon Clark. Now, his involvement has been discounted by many for reasons such as the fact that he frequently confessed to murders that he had nothing to do with. And he also was suffering from mental illness at the time he made these confessions. However, he is still alive today. And he may have information to give us, especially because he has been receiving treatment for his mental illness now for years since he's been in custody. Now, the third person we've talked about today is Whitey Bulger. Bulger may have been involved with the Lady of the Dunes death, and it may have involved human trafficking. Unfortunately, Bulger is dead now and cannot tell us anything else he may have known. According to a March 14, 2021 NBC News article by Rich Shapiro, 89-year-old Balger was found dead in his prison cell around 8.30 a.m. on October 30, 2018. He had been beaten to death with a weapon consisting of a padlock stuffed inside a sock. So Balger is dead. And with his death, any secrets he held and any knowledge of the Lady of the Dunes died with him. Now what you can do, for those of you who are part of the Reform crew and want to somehow help solve this mystery, what do we know about Haddon Clark and who he may have said the Lady of the Dunes was? He supposedly said he knew her name. Well, who did he tell it to, if anyone? Who were the pen pals of Haddon Clark and what more did he tell them about the Lady of the Dunes? Some of this information is out there, and his handwritten letters are also out there. So what did he say? Who were the pen pals of Haddon Clark, and what more did he tell them about the Lady of the Dunes? And last, what about Whitey Bulger and his ties to human trafficking? Is there a possible link there that has not been fully explored, and it may lead to clues as to who the Lady of the Dunes was? So that last part ties into what we're going to be talking about next week. Stay tuned next week because we're going to be talking about human trafficking and how this may be tied into what happened. We're going to talk about some policy issues involved with human trafficking. In my work as a lawmaker, I was part of improving our state laws to make them more protective for human trafficking survivors and also to hold those responsible accountable. 
we're going to talk about what you can do to advocate in your state to make your state safer in the fight against human trafficking. It's a form of human slavery that affects entirely too many innocent people. And one last thing that we can do this week to try and help solve the Lady of the Dunes mystery, Jaws. Who was the extra in Jaws that has been identified as possibly being the Lady of the Dunes? We know what she looks like. We know that there has not been anybody to come forward yet saying that she was that person who was the extra. And we haven't heard anybody saying that they know that person, that they worked with that person, that they know her name, or that even she's a friend or family member. So, especially those who are movie aficionados, who is this person? How can we find her? Who were the extras on Jaws? Did you all know each other? Who is she? And can we please hear if she's alive, if she's okay, or if she even lived beyond July of 1974? If you need to reach us or have any relevant information to this mystery, email us at thereformpod at gmail.com. We will forward the information you provide to the proper authorities. You could also contact the Provincetown Police Department at 508 487 one, two, one, two. We want to fully thank and recognize all of our sources and their work. We've listed some today as I was talking, but a full list and links are available on our website at thereformpodcast.com. Thank you for listening to the Reform Podcast. Before we go, if you want to support the work we're doing, we have had a lot of downloads and it's pretty consistent, but we're asking you to please subscribe and rate and review our podcast. Your voice matters. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to reach as many people as possible, and you doing that really helps. You can also join us on Patreon, where you can get exclusive access to content that nobody else gets. The Reform Podcast is written, researched, recorded, and produced by me, Kimberly Dudick. You can follow The Reform Podcast and stay up to date on Instagram at The Reform Podcast, on Facebook at The Reform Podcast, and on Twitter at The Reform Pod. Our theme song is Be Mine by the Missoula, Montana musician Tom Catmull. We are making this show on and around the traditional lands of the Salish, Ponderay, Kootenai, Shoshone, Blackfeet, Chinook, and Multnomah peoples, and many other Native tribes. With deep respect, we acknowledge the Indigenous people of the West and throughout the United States. Wherever you are, thank you for listening. Until next time, keep searching for justice.
The ladder pulls you short from a crowded room With your pocketbook and your heart and your mind Out of place Be mine Be mine Be mine Be Is hearing lovers kiss in darkened taverns while mining your home. But when your ears fill twice with chance encounters a charming third, and you'll someday find it stained to your bones. It is particular about company, and it sparks the flame of jealousy in those you hold close. And it has no fear of poverty, the bottle of solace. You see, you are what. It needs most be mine, be mine.